Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette. This time on Life in Sense, we're speaking to British tailor and fashion designer Timothy Everest, who has dressed some of the biggest names in music, sport and politics from his studio in the East End of London. He explains his passion for bespoke tailoring and how smell plays an important role in both his life and his work. Odette had brought with him a bottle of Sartorial by Penhaligans, which is a scent built around the concept of a Slavle Row workshop. We asked Timothy what he made of it. Well, it doesn't really smell anything like a Savile Row workshop. It's quite pleasant, though. I should have to bruise it, don't I? My mother used to tell me. Yeah, it's better on the skin. No, you couldn't do it literally because a, a workshop smells of various things. Quite often they're repairing old clothes, so it's got a very musky smell, particularly if they're working in the trouser department. There's almost a, there's a smell of heat as well from the irons and... So there's a sense, there's, you can almost see the smell when you walk in there. So it tends to smell of old fabric and not, not, not a burning sensation, but a very warm sensation. It wouldn't be as fragrant as that, but then you don't really want to, as I say, really smell like a workshop. But it's, it's, it's quite pleasant. Yeah, it's quite a lively thing. It's quite pungent in a way, the sort of high notes. I'm sure it's selling very well. We were living in Southampton and uh, we were living on a new sort of housing estate and we had to walk through this kind of scrubland to the supermarket um, with my mother and she used to say, and it used to always smell slightly saline, slightly salty and it was, that it was like, there weren't gravel pits but it was, there was a lot of sort of water and I'm sure it's been built on now and it was, yeah, it was a bit sandy um, and we were always told not to stray off the path because there was quicksand there and that we would die. So it was always a, a traumatic journey, and I always remember the smell of this, and I was always wondering if I could just walk a little bit and see how far my foot would go down. But it was just my mother trying to scare us from running away from um, on the way to the supermarket. So that's, that's kind of my first sort of smells. Then we moved to Ireland. I was in school in uh, Bray, County Wicklow, and we used to go hiking a lot up in the mountains, uh, Wicklow Mountains, when I was about sort of 10, 11. But I always remember discovering... Um, garlic leaves and garlic flowers and we all as boys ate loads of them and were very sick and got told off for doing that. It was associated uh, the smell of garlic and sort of hiking in Wicklow and being sick. And you see these nice little boys in their school caps tipping them to the local stinking of garlic. Not very nice was it? But also we used to play this game on the mountains at Easter which was called, I think it was London, New York, Paris. But London was the top, Paris was the middle of the of Bray Head and New York was, I can't remember, it was anyway. And they had, you say, split the school into to, to thirds, and a third of them were pirates. And the whole idea was that if you got to the top without getting caught by a pirate, you'd get some sweets. And if you, the pirates catch you, they'd get some sweets. You spend a day running up and down this, this mountain, which is quite fun. So I always remember things that you don't get now, things like blackjacks and uh, fruit salads and those sort of things, and the smells of those, really, and the tastes of those. We have to very quickly in our business, you know, the door opens, the curtain goes up and we take people on a journey. And we've never met some of these people before, so very quickly we have to assess who they are and what we think. 
we like to empower our, con our customers in the whole process and like them to feel that they're making a selection. Bespoke is quite a daunting process for a lot of people and what we try to do make it a very pleasurable experience and demystify it. Turn all the negatives of being long-winded, old-fashioned, boring, expensive and elitist around. But so when you're meeting people, you know, it's how they look, um, what they say, and you're trying to build a profile and smell sometimes if they're wearing a particular fragrance or something can give you a little clue of, uh, of how they are. You know, obviously they're wearing something a little bit stronger than they're obviously quite, you know, they want people to know that they're wearing something that uh, is interesting. And then you do, yeah, you do have the person who's got the latest fragrance, whether it's Tom Ford or whatever. Sometimes the young guys, are, I really like it when they wear a really old um, fragrance, you know, like um, Z89 from Floris or something like that. I think it works better on a young man than it does an older man. The older man makes them smell even older. I think that's quite interesting when they do that. Or they've got something, you know, limes from Truefit and Hill or something. It smells a bit like opal fruits, but it's, it's kind of quite nice. Um, so trying to build up a profile of somebody's smell can be quite important. Fortunately, we don't have people who smell badly. <laughs> we think, no, we shouldn't, shouldn't work with them. Generally, our, I would say our guys are quite, quite subtle in how they smell. But I think a smell is a terribly important, you know, in this day and age where you can buy any kind of look. Being yourself and being an individual is the only way to be modern. Whether your choice of tie, handkerchief, um, sunglasses, watch, fragrances equally as important. And I have a selection of fragrances and I tend to wear different ones depending on how I feel. And I think that's a really nice thing to do. It kind of sets you up for the day. So even if I'm, you know, wearing a T-shirt and jeans or something, I think I could still wear something that's quite, quite nice. I quite like the idea of wearing quite a special fragrance with very, very dressed down. The same as wearing like a very beautiful watch. I don't necessarily always wear that with a suit, but sometimes I might wear something quite dressed up and then I wear a very low-key fragrance. I go through phases. In the summer, I wear Zagora by um, Santa Maria Novella because I love that sort of orange blossom. It's slightly feminine as well. Not, not in that way. No, but I quite like that, particularly if I'm wearing sort of like if I'm Marrakesh or something, I'm wearing sort of linen little shirt and things like that. It's a really lovely thing to put on. You feel like really zinging. And I'm wearing actually... Um, Today, it's a, some, I can't remember, there's some place I found in Morocco, in Marrakesh, and it's very sort of musky. And it reminds me of what I used to wear, um, check and speak, frankincense and myrrh, which is very sort of pungent. But to me, this is kind of a little bit more real, and it reminds me, it's quite kind of exotic, and I feel kind of wintry and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, all sorts of different things, really. On the other side of things, something that you might wear when you're feeling quite sombre, or maybe a bit dark. Sombre or a bit dark? What would I wear? Yeah, I've got several bottles of a particular Chanel fragrance, which I don't particularly like, um, but my mother keeps giving it to me. So um, not, not when I'm particularly sombre, but I have noticed I have put it on when I'm not in a particularly good mood, and I don't particularly like it. But it's actually very pleasant, but it's just not, not me. Um, so maybe, you were saying earlier, maybe I am generally quite a jolly person. So the few times that I'm not jolly, I put on something I don't like. Uh, it's like with music, isn't it? Sometimes you put things on that bit of joy division or something to really get yourself, you know, on the edge of the of the roof of the building or something. Maybe there's a smell associated and, and maybe not, but a, an experience or a time that you first came into contact with clothes and fashion and style that was maybe a changing point or maybe it's always been there for you. Actually, smell, that's quite funny, actually. I remember saving up all summer. We used to go to my grandparents in Wales 
and we went up a shopping trip to Cardiff. Uh, I was determined to buy some fashionable clothes. I remember walking down the high street and my grandmother said, oh, look, there's Dorothy Perkins. And apparently I said, oh, did she wave? So um, that was one of those things that's been brought up every Christmas for about 40 years or whatever it was. But I remember going into a store and I'd bought these very cool flared jeans and this necklace and paid with it out of this big girl's purse. And my grandmother thought I was definitely going to not be the marrying kind and was most mortified. And then I'd been watching the Brute 33 adverts which you're all far too young to remember, but I loved the stunt scene and all that sort of thing. And I remember having this debate with my grandmother because I decided that I had developed body odour at the age of 12 and I needed to buy some antiperspirant. So I liked this really, it was terrible, pungent smell, but I loved the look of the bottles. You know, it was metallic green and one was silver and saying, you know, can you tell me the difference between antiperspirant and uh, deodorant? And she couldn't really answer it. So she said, well, just to get one of them she said you know so I said well I'll have the green one then and I remember going off with these clothes and this and spraying myself with this uh, I've gone from smelling of, of garlic to stinking of really bad antiperspirant or deodorant whatever it was the next smell would have been first going out with girls I suppose but that was more the smell of spring and things like that the smell of spring, not the smell of perfume they were wearing sometimes there's some pretty awful fragrances they'd nick from mum tweed by Lontric or something when they should have been wearing, I don't know what it was at the time, Sandra or opium or something no but also it's very funny um, yeah, not going into too much detail but certain smells of, of trees and golf courses and other things when, when you're, I don't play golf but certain smells come up and you always remember your sort of first kiss and all that sort of thing Did you play golf then? No but I was in the bunker for a couple of times Terrific wind, Barry. Well, it's just down going faster than anybody else, isn't it? Yeah, this stuff's really 100%, you know? Nothing beats a great smell of brew. Oh, just splash it on all over, eh, Henry? Sure. Lovely way to freshen up. Yeah, but I wear it for a better reason. What's that? She I likes like it. it. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I know. Could we maybe go back to the fitting room again? We talked about how you perceive... Your, your customers and how, how that goes into building up an idea of who they are. But in terms of creating an experience for them, is there anything that you do or your team go through to sort of set the mood in terms of smell or is maybe an absence of smell important? The smell is very important. Um, I remember years ago um, going to a shop called Crowler when I was a young kid in London and it was the first place I walked in that I actually noticed it smelled really cool. And it wasn't just because Scott was smoking something he shouldn't be smoking. There was something burning in the background. The music was amazing. The place looked fantastic. And it was the first time I'd been into a sort of environment, a boutique, and I thought, this is pretty cool. And I went downstairs, and there was Peter Smith and um, Richard Stepney, who've got fourth-floor um, hairdressers, which was this amazing deconstructed barber with the kind of jars of the... Um, disinfectant or not disinfectant, antiseptic, whatever, which had a particular smell, but I thought it was an uh, amazing sort of thing. So smell was very important. In fact, Richard still burns, I think, rose joysticks from Check and Speak in his salon. Um, but we used to burn things like that, but my wife makes candles, who was just here. Smell is terribly important. Part of going to our house, it has a smell. It's an old Georgian house, so it smells, has a historical smell, I suppose, because of the wood panelling and the panelling absorbs smell. We've burnt loads of different things over the years, it also hopefully sounds good and it looks good and you get a great cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a glass of champagne. 
Yes, smell is terribly important. And uh, I swear for a chap called Tommy Nutter in the 70s, he used to throw patchouli oil all around the shop, and which is obviously very much of that period. But what he didn't realise is that when people took the clothes away, they smelt of the shop. So they had this kind of slightly still, this elongated high of the purchase. They took a bit of the shop and the experience away with them, and they liked the fact that the clothes actually smelt of the store. Quite traditional, really, because um, woolen shawls when they used to be imported from India in the 19th mm. century would be stored with patchouli mm. to keep the moths away. Mm. So it's quite sensible. It was, it was very sensible, but it was kind of that sort of time when he was you know, dressing uh, the Rolling Stones and all that sort of thing. Actually, funny enough, we were dressing this weekend, that whole kind of flower power thing, and to bring that to Savile Row was quite, quite sort of rock and roll, really. You have experience of creating a scent with M&S. Could you maybe talk about a bit about that creative process and what your involvement within that was? It was trying to put something together that kind of summed up a bit of modern Savile Row and was kind of fresh. So we, it was, again, a lot of the smells that we liked. But unfortunately, I think it was synthetic-based, so because of the price point and all those sort of things, it wasn't quite... It doesn't have the longevity on the skin that we would like, but um, actually, I think we got quite a nice uh, kind of smell which was quite nice. It had a nice sort of musky sort of smell, which I associate with being quite masculine. And there were some kind of top notes, which were kind of sort of citrusy as well, which I thought were quite good. And it does smell very much like something else that's out there, which wasn't planned by a very good American brand. But it was, yeah, it's been very successful, sold very well. But it was a really um, interesting process, studying the market. And what actually Joe Public and Mr Average would wear is actually quite quite simple and they don't really want anything too too strong but they really like the story and the packaging the advertising is terribly important for that kind of level and I mean was your involvement in sort of creating that story yes. um, through mood boards and t- conversations yes. we've, uh, we've got it all downstairs we we are actually looking at two kind of stories it was all tied in with um with um with the programs we were working on originally what was going to be for autograph so we did an autograph and a sartorial story and we looked at autograph as being very germanic very teutonic and at that level we have to kind of associate it with brands that are successful because people like MS, they understand what's going on it's very difficult not only them but a lot of the high street companies to sort of take them on a journey to to something that might be it's very easy to say it's kind of Hugo Boss here to Armani here or whatever, they understand that. So we had to reference quite often. And then we did this whole kind of what we felt was much more interesting was kind of revisiting this whole Art Deco packaging, which then became sartorial. So we were looking at things with wood trim and, and leather and all sorts of things from the past. So the smell was musky and leathery and all this sort of like slightly wood spice and then I said these citrus kind of notes it was kind of looking they really liked that and also that was in time with with the launch of the first Tom Ford fragrance as a deco-esque kind of feel they could kind of relate to that as well so yeah it was a whole creative process but like a lot of those things they do get dumbed down a bit but we were very pleased what we ended up considering all the processes and the different people because they farmed it out to a third party and and considering how many people involved I think we ended up with quite a quite a good result they will always take it down to the lowest common denominator because in the, the day they think about volumes of sale. And quite often, particularly with m there's some really good guys there. And they said, don't ever show us what you think is going to sell. Show us that what, what it could be. And then we'll, we'll work together to, to get as near to that because whatever we'll do, we'll bring it down. We don't need to start there because then we'll bring it down to a, to a level that just won't, won't, won't be in any interest at all. 
So we always try and challenge and try and make things interesting. I wanted to ask you about different fabrics, whether they have an innate fragrance. So people often associate a smell with wool and wet wool. Most people associate damp tweed, and as you know, when they used to, before they had ways of fixing dye, they used to use, I think, sheep's urine to actually fix colour in, in wool and so on. So there is sort of a, a damp, wet, not urine smell, but there is something that I always associate with the country. I'm wearing a soft lamb's wool tweed today, but I've got a really nice Shetland tweed, which has a very, I think, fabulous smell, and also something that people, have again, have rediscovered tweed, not people who just wear tweed in the country, but urban tweed has become very fashionable. I mean, we're in, in the East End here. A lot of young kids want to wear tweed again, and it does have a, a very evocative smell to me, which is quite nice, um, quite exotic, really. I do think it was, again, kind of very masculine, very musky. There's a vinegary sort of smell about it. I don't know what it is. It doesn't, but to me, I associate vinegar with that. Not fish and chips, but maybe sarsen's vinegar. Not, not a good balsamic. And then there's a fabric which Scabal have made where they've actually um, impregnated it with lapis lazuli. And that's got a very cold smell. I don't know why to me. I don't know what that smells. Slightly icy, minty. So apparently lapis has uh, healing properties, but it also means it's got a very intense blue um, colour to it. So that's, for me, for some reason, I, th- I see it and think of mint, but it doesn't smell of mint at all. But that's, that's just me. When I moved to London, um, I, the, the most, the biggest thing, it was a very hot place to live. I remember always taking my jacket off because I was always riding around on my motorbike on the west coast of Wales, which was chillier. So I found the heat very strange because now when I go back, I, I find it very, very cold because I got used to become sort of a southern wimp in that sense. I used to go to the Blitz Club. Yes, I was about 17, I started going there. And then I ran into what's known from Spandau Ballet because he's a big cyclist as well. Carrie Kemp and yeah, we still Club for Heroes and Camden Palace and Barracuda and then uh, the Beetroot and so I knew all those sort of people when I was quite young. Well, I remember going to um, Club for Heroes one night and Steve Strange was on door and he announced only blondes that night and then three of or four of us were blondes so we just went in and I left our mate outside because he wasn't blonde. It was dreadful, wasn't it? But we had a really cool night, a good night. Yeah, the clubs had really fantastic smells about them. Camden Palace had a funny sort of smell about it, very orangey upstairs on the balcony. I don't know why that was. Couldn't smell the latex, but they had these kind of big inflated trapeze artists. I remember they had it over the, the balcony and you could smell this kind of rubbery kind of smell. It was really odd. Being sort of pretty boys hanging in the shadows, we were always invited to all the, the, the cool parties at the time. But that's how I came to London, because I was desperate to work in London. So I answered an advert, Boy Wanted in Savile Row, when I was up here one weekend, and that's how I met Tommy Nutter. I went to work for him. Yeah, I can remember going to New York. Um, yeah, and I was in what black tracksuit bottoms, and but I was doing sort of black look, black Reeboks, bum bag. I can't remember, I had some T-shirt with something on it, Jeff Turner jacket with big shoulders and some baseball cap, and I'd, um, I'd never been to New York before and was told about all these people, you know, get mugged and things, and uh, I went out on one of these nights, 
um, where I got picked up at the airport by a friend and we were whizzed down to his apartment down in the meatpacking district, which was not very cool then. Then we went uptown to some restaurant and we went to some sort of club. I lost them because they thought I'd met somebody and, and I'd gone off with somebody, which I hadn't. I'd gone outside because I wasn't feeling very well. I went back and couldn't find them. And it's before the days of mobile phones. Didn't have his address, so I said, OK, I'll go to phone box and whatever it is, AT&T was all down on strike. So I went to a hotel and said, can you tell me... Uh, I could remember various signs, uh, the places we went past, and I said, can you tell me of a church um, by a dual carriageway? And I think they said, I said they, they shot Arthur there. And they said, Arthur 1 or Arthur 2. I said, I don't know, there was these two tunnels. Anyway, cut a long story short, I managed to find my way back down dressed like this to where they live. But I remember about six in the morning, joggers were coming out and I'd heard about jogger muggers. So these joggers came towards me, I thought it was going to be mugs. So I ran across the street and fell across some trash cans and ripped my tracksuit bottoms. Eventually find this place down in Horatio and something. And uh, they wouldn't let me in because I looked a mess. And uh, I remember waiting for someone to come out to go to work. And as the door <laughs> opened, I ran in and the guy on the desk was trying to catch me. I got in the lift and I knew roughly which door it was, but I didn't know if they were on the second or third floor. And just from memory, found found them. And uh, But, uh, yeah, I remember the, the smell of um, uh, going through the meatpacking district and there was this burning um, sort of oil can and uh, there was this uh, big uh, uh, black transvestite, very nice chat with big blonde wig and... Uh, was very kind to give me directions because I couldn't work out whether they were over the Brooklyn Bridge or whether, and he said, no, I think what describing, and he was very kind to me, but I remember standing by this burning sort of uh, can trying to keep, walk, keep warm and looking for his next uh, project, and, uh, but he was very kind in pointing me in the right direction in my torn trousers or tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> that was my first night in New York. A lot of your work is sort of tradition and English tradition. Very much so. That's why it's interesting with someone like Penn Halligans, and we mentioned the florists of this world, and Truefit and Hill. Yeah, tradition is very important to us, so we're very much rooted in the craft and the past. But again, we were talking about it's actually how you subvert that and keep the relevance of that um, for now and for the future. So we try to keep things quite, quite sort of fresh and quite modern. But again, I remember Tommy taking me down to Check and Speak and to Truefoot and Hill and Floris and explaining to me why these were quite... Because I was buying, like, fashion fragrance from Debenhams or wherever. It wasn't Debenhams, but it was the equivalent of that. He was mortified and I wasn't wearing proper shoes. But Tommy was very, very fashionable, but it's how he showed me how you could wear traditional things in a, and respect them in a different way. So he kind of opened my eyes up into saying, well, why don't you try, you know, Floris Elite or 89 or why don't you try Check and Speak 88 when it came out and, and why does that work? It's kind of interesting. So we were looking at where... And again, it was quite fun being like 2021, 20, wearing these kind of grown-up smells um, in a different way because it kind of suited the clothing we were wearing at that time. It, you can remember it was kind of early 80s and everyone was subverting tradition like from Brideshead Revisited to kind of all the Anthony Price kind of tailoring that all the, the Roxy Musics to Duran Duran were wearing, all based on kind of matinee idol, the whole sort of Amani thing which was based on that kind of these sort of faded Hollywood and deconstructed. It was quite kind of quite fun revisiting all those smells in a different kind of order. Is your idea of that sense of tradition one which is rooted in a specific time in the past or is it a more sort of enduring attitude? It changes. I mean, when I started, um, the 60s was terribly important to me 
Um, I was sort of inspired by films which everyone's hacked me to death now, but I loved all the tailoring of um, Dougie Hayward in, um, say, um, Thomas Crown Affair. That's a fabulous film, which I found terribly romantic watching that sort of 10 years after in my teens or whatever, thinking, you know, there's this young guy, you know, he's got everything. He's got the beautiful girlfriend. He's got, he's got the Rolls Royce and he's got the house and the butler, but he's bored, so he's going to rob banks. But he had very beautiful suits and you'd like to think he wore a very good cologne. So he, it was all based on the correctness. And yet he had this beach house, you know, the, the, the latest thing, the beach buggy. He knew how to wear casual things as well. It was kind of a very modern take on tradition. And then things like The Italian Job and lots of other films and Dolce Vita and so on. I loved that kind of 60s. And also, there wasn't an awful lot of choice for what people would wear. And I loved kind of like performance with Mick Jagger and kind of like the Super Dry Project we just worked on. One of the characters is based on Mick Jagger, kind of lost in the country, wearing kind of his kind of urban clothing in a country kind of way. Um, I, I kind of like that. But it changes um, all the time. I mean, we've been through kind of a a 1920s period again, which was very much what Tommy was doing. He was in the 1970s looking at the whole Art Deco. So if you look at all the colour, the pattern, he's a big collector of Claris Cliff and other things, and it was kind of a 1970s take on that kind of look, um, which was, was kind of interesting. They just made everything bigger, the lapels bigger and the, the trousers bigger and so on. And then we've been looking again at the 1950s, because everyone thinks the 1960s are terribly exciting, but a lot of what happened in the 60s came out of the 50s, if you think of art and all sorts of things. Um, and that was probably the last sort of period of... There was still the kind of correctness of, of Britishness and, and etiquette and so on. And it, was, and it moved on from post-war and there was things starting to happen. I find that kind of interesting. But in our world, which is based on Ted, we have to acknowledge fashion as well as tradition and fashion is quite interesting at the moment because it's become old-fashioned I think because any kind of style you can wear I could come in dressed like an Edwardian gentleman today and you wouldn't sort of bat an eyelid so you can wear any kind of period so I said as I said earlier being yourself and 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 creating your own kind of look with different age people different bodies different shapes creating your own kind of style which is quite a brave thing to say but if you can discover yourself that's really interesting and that's where fragrance is terribly important this has been timothy everest's life in sense The original soundtrack for this episode was composed by Skywide C, with additional sound design from Jace Warner. Hear our other episodes at lifeincense.com or on iTunes. Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette.